Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Micah, Mercedes, and Heather. And today we are joined by Nathaniel Diskin, the Executive Director of CoHome, an inclusive living experience for individuals with disabilities, and my neighbor. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> So thanks for joining us, friends. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. All right. Hello, my friends. Hi, Micah and Mercedes. (laughs) Hey. Oh, you know what I was thinking about? What? <laughs> My roommates from college. Oh, bless. Oh, roomies. This is this is the this is kind of the birthday season for my roommates from college. We all oh. go. There's four of us, and we all turn the next number, kind of in a three month period. And so there's a lot of texting on our text thread. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Did you have the same. Did you have the same roommates all four years of school? No, I had them the last two years. So okay. um, I lived in the dorms and had different roommates. And then we chose each other for our apartment living. Okay. And so these are my my four girls from college. And we when we turned 40, we went to uh, we went to Mexico together oh, and had a like 40th extravaganza. Fun. Yeah. So fun. I had a my freshman year in the dorms, I was roomed with you know, it's like a, well, it, usually they just make it, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's like a crapshoot. You don't really get to choose. Like a lottery. Thank you. Something like that. But they, there was a woman who, a girl, I guess at the time, who was like a friend of a friend. We ended up rooming together. Jill, what up, Jill? And we liked each other a lot. So Jill oh. was my roommate, freshman, sophomore, junior year. Wow. Um, but we were, I had different, it was the two of us always sharing a room. And then we had different people. And our sophomore year, a person who I will not name the name, but was so hard to live with, like those roommate <laughs> things where you're just like, oh gosh. You Don't let it get out I won't. of this podcast. Don't share this, you guys, who <laughs> <the> listeners. Um, <laughs> you know how you like pull into the driveway and their car is there and you're like, oh, shoot. Maybe you've never had that experience. <laughs> and then my fourth year of college, I was married to Josh. He was oh, girl. <laughs> You college married people. That's so Just cute. A wee babe. Uh huh. <laughs> so that was um, fun. He was a so good Josh. Roommate. Josh has been your roommate a long time. My longest roommate is Josh. Oh, almost nineteen years. Yeah, nineteen years. I love yes. that. Yes, Merce, you had my sister as a roommate once. I did for two summers in a row in the yes. tiniest little. It's like a glorified walk-in closet. Really, it's so tiny. She's the best. She's very sweet. I'm probably the wild one. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. Okay, like 18 year old Mercedes, 18 year old oh Heather. My gosh. Were you guys the roommates who left dishes in the sink, took your roommates' clothes without asking, never oh. made your bed? I never took clothes. Bed was questionable, and um, dishes for sure were in the sink. From me, okay. <laughs> but I never stole. 
And I always tried to like keep my mess on top of my bed. Like I would then look at the spot. I'm like, I don't know if it's on top of my bed or yeah. my crazy chair. <laughs> they can't come after me. But I would not from Hana at all. But I did have some roommates who had the the post-it notes, the passive aggressive post-it yes. notes. You know? <laughs> And I was like, oh, come off it. Oh, <laughs> suggestions. Thank you for your suggestions. Hilarious. Oh, One year, my my junior year, I lived with five people and um, we had like a chore chart, you know, because that's what you do. <laughs> and we all had different chores. So it was fine. And we all took turns making dinners, like Monday nights, I made dinners or whatever. And it was, we all did really well. I think we were mostly all tidy which is helpful if everybody's tidy. But the one thing that was not on a chart chart, chore chart that <laughs> would irritate my soul is when people wouldn't fill up the ice cube trays. <laughs> oh, really? That was your <laughs> little thing. Like I'd go to get ice out of the freezer and I'd be like, no way. I cannot <laughs> believe again you did somebody did not fill up the ice cube trays. Oh and I would God, that would be yeah. so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe you would find the ice cube trays like in the cupboard. Like I was- oh, yeah. with, so with a sticky sliding. note. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you guys, uh, we're talking about roommates today and we're talking about inclusive roommates. And I'm really excited for us to get to talk with Nathaniel about this amazing- um, inclusive living experience that he's developed here in my town. And I hope that becomes a thing in a lot of places. So um, we're gonna jump over to meet Nathaniel and I can't wait for you guys to hear from him. Oh, but first, Mercedes is gonna yes. read another one of your sweet reviews. Yes, before we listen, let's read another review from one of our listeners. S&P 2009 says, thank you for teaching me that showing up with my daughter is enough. Mm -hmm. I have learned to love her more through your podcast, and I have appreciated your real selves that show up each week to share your experience with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <gasps> thank I you. That. that was That's so amazing. sweet. I know. Um, friends, don't forget to review the show on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so we can read it out loud maybe next week. We love reading these and appreciate your support so, so much. All right. And now on <laughs> to my conversation with Nathaniel Diskin. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Nathaniel Diskant. He is the executive director of CoHome, which provides inclusive living experiences for individuals with disabilities. CoHome believes that inclusivity is about creating vibrant, welcoming homes for people of all abilities, and they are doing just that. And Nathaniel, or Nate, is not only the executive director of CoHome, he's also my neighbor. Yay! So I'm very excited to introduce you guys to him. Um, before I bring him on, I wanted to tell you a little bit about when I moved to Morristown back in September of 2020. I'd been looking for homes all around this general area of New Jersey, 
and we got the offer accepted on our house. And soon after, my real estate agent told me, hey, I have really exciting news. There's this group home where people with disabilities live, and it's just around the corner. And my first thought was, hey, that's cool. I'm really excited that there are going to be people with disabilities living in my neighborhood, and I can't wait to meet them. And and then my second thought was sort of like, uh, I have some general unease, I guess, with the idea of a group home. Like the idea of segregating people with disabilities into a house and people um, living with caretakers and just the general sense that um, people usually think of when they think of a group home. Uh, so the first thing I did was look it up online. I looked up this this home, co-home, and realized that this was not a group home we were talking about. This was an inclusive housing project. And I was so pumped to find out that it was that it was not what I had first thought. It was people with disabilities and people without disabilities living together in this beautiful old Victorian, um, in a beautiful neighborhood down the street from me. And I have just been so excited about the work that they're doing. Nate was one of the first people I met in Morristown, and I'm so happy that he is here to talk to us and tell us about the work he's doing, because um, I hope that it's an idea that is going to spread and um, and be something that um, people in other towns and other parts of the country can live out. So, welcome to the show, Nathaniel. Hey there. <laughs> okay, so um, Nate, I would love for you to introduce yourself. I would love for you to tell us about your role in Co-Home and just your story and your connection to disability. Great. Thanks, Micah. It's awesome to be your neighbor, too. And we're happy to have you in the neighborhood. So my name is Nathaniel. I'm the executive director and founder of Co-Home. I'm a sibling, among other things, of a um, a young man who's 27 now. His name's Jeremy, and he was our first resident. Um, he has Down syndrome, and that was probably the catalyst for me f shifting my attention from medical devices and other projects to housing. Um, we weren't, as a family, really aware of the status or availability or lack of availability of housing for folks who experience disability until Jeremy turned 21, which in New Jersey is when uh, folks who experience disability age out of district-based supports. So uh, as a family, we started looking into New Jersey housing options for Jeremy, and then we started looking outside of New Jersey, not being able to find something that, uh, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, a place where I would feel comfortable, a place where, um, a place that would be his home and be the least restrictive environment in the same way we've now been able to provide a lot of folks mainstream education. And so I shifted my focus to looking into uh, disability housing and how we could do that. and. Five years later, here we are. Cool. So you said that you were in a totally different career path 
doing, did you say medical devices? That's what you were, so you were, you were working on medical devices. You, you start looking for housing for your brother and you don't find anything that, that fits your values, basically. What were some of the things that you did see as you were looking for him? So we found a lot of good intentions. Uh, we found, you know, the typical group home model, the state licensed group home model, where, you know, folks with disabilities come together to live together with support staff. Our feelings on that were that, you know, I, I have brown hair. I don't imagine that other folks with brown hair might want to be my housemates um, and that we might be compatible to live our lives together. Um, and I think maybe there's a false imagining that folks with disabilities, um, you know, because they share a disability in common, that they want to also share their lives together. Mm. Um, there, I think there's something unfair about that in summarizing someone or, or seeing them as an expression of their disability. And other programs that we had seen, uh, there are some campus models that have you know, wonderful intentions about, hey, we're going to create a microcosm of society. We're going to have stores and um, you know, places of work and places to live. And it's going to be in its own safe space campus. Um, we had the thought, well, why can't we have Morristown be our campus? We already have stores and places of work and places to food shop and places to hang out. And we have homes. So why don't we just live here? I love that. And I think there's, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are going to be people like me who have kids who, um, mostly parents of kids with Down syndrome who are in the early stages of raising their kids. So we are thinking about inclusion in terms of education. And uh, I think a lot of the times we haven't gone down the road far enough or our minds haven't gotten there because we're just trying to get through first grade or, you know, to think about um, that, you know, when we, w we want to build an inclusive society, we've got to think beyond education. And um, so the way that you're talking, like, we don't need to create in the same ways as we don't need to build a different education model. We just need to use the model that we have and invite children with disabilities into an inclusive school system. Like you're saying, we have this town already, there are jobs already, there's stores, and there's homes. And why not build an inclusive model in our community? Y yeah, exactly. And you know, I think that the early education model of mainstreaming kids is so important. And for our family, Jeremy was the first person with Down syndrome to go through our school district um, in the you know mainstreamed way. And that was something that really informed our approach to, to housing. Um, Jeremy was able to develop friendships and experience, you know, a lot of things that his peers with disability who went to more sheltered schools weren't able to experience. And when we visited some of the you know, existing housing options for f folks with disabilities, we saw a, perhaps what you could say a, you know, a regression mm -hmm. um, in Jeremy that 
um, you know, and also resentment. He did not want to go to a space like that because he was used to and he learned to expect to be mainstream, to be included. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, as his big brother, or one of his big brothers, it was really important to me to help make that possible for him and his friends and others. And now we're doing that. So you have this idea for a a house here in your hometown where Jeremy can live with in a in an inclusive setting. How did you start to make that happen? Wow. Um, so at the time, I'm living in uh, upstate New York, and I start making some trips down to New Jersey. I reach out to an existing established nonprofit, and I initiate a conversation. No, have you done this before? Is this something you'd be comfortable getting involved with? Um, you know, I'd be happy to take on some responsibilities on the front end, but obviously I can't run something like this. This isn't my expertise. Um, you know, I have a job, um, but I'd love to set something up that works great for Jeremy, works great for others, and that you know works good for you guys. And so that's what we did. We we set up uh, a pilot home with this organization and. Uh, about six months in, it started uh, devolving into a group home. Um, maybe the mechanics of the organization were such that, you know, what's it, a, a hammer sees nails? Um, so this pilot project for an inclusive home in Morristown, just some blocks away from, you know, one of the, the our recent purchases, um, it, you know, it, it didn't work out. Um, and so in late 2016, my family and I started having conversations. My older brother, uh, James, is a, a special needs attorney uh, based out of L.A. And so we started having conversations, you know, how can we, of course, he wasn't a special needs attorney then. He was an environmental attorney at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started having conversations, how can we take this on? This isn't a space we're comfortable in, um, but we have some entrepreneurial spirit and we have Jeremy who really, really wants to live in his community. So you start throwing around ideas and how did you land on buying a beautiful old Victorian in, in the historical part of Morristown, New Jersey? <laughs> well, I guess cost wasn't one of the things we were really factoring as much. Um, there are definitely more affordable spaces to make a co-home. Um, and a big uh, Victorian in the historic district of Morristown is not maybe the most economical, but there was a principle at stake, we felt, in that if we could do it here, if we could do it in this way, and if we could create housing where anyone would want to live, um, anyone from, you know, almost, I guess, any economic bracket would look at the home and say, wow, that's a beautiful home um, for anyone, not just for folks with disability. And um, we thought that was really important. So, uh, you know, it was a, a much bigger effort, but we succeeded. And also, I guess, you know, the Victorian had certain features that we were looking for, like having nooks and crannies where folks can go if they need, you know, some stimming or if someone needs to uh, 
uh, separate themselves, but they want to be involved in the activity in some way or be aware of what's going on. So uh, Victorians have that. Um, one of the things that first made me really excited when I started to understand what you guys were doing was just this idea of excellence, like that uh, I am, I think too often in spaces like the disability space, uh, there's sort of like, because you're doing something for, like, because it seems like a, a generous idea, things can be done in a way that are not at their best. You know, like a book can be written about inclusion that maybe wouldn't be published by a publisher or that things, that, things like that. I love it when I see people doing something that is just, like, the co-home house is an amazing place to live. It's just beautiful. And that that is what we should be offering to every person, a beautiful place to live. Um, and nothing less when we're talking about making a space for adults with disabilities. I, I think for me, there are you know, two things that go into that. Um, you know, first off, there was an idea I learned of in, in college where um, there's an economic, I guess, principle where we could design society uh, in such a way that if you draw the unlucky card, you're not so unlucky. Mm. Um, and not to say, uh, you know, folks with disabilities are unlucky, but if we don't have the opportunity due to whatever circumstances, that that opportunity can be provided to us. Um, and I think a lot of folks, myself included for many years, have taken for granted um, you know, the many, many privileges we have. Mm -hmm. um, and in, uh, this actually didn't happen until, I guess, a couple years into Co-Home, but one young man applied to live with us who uh, was, you know, grew up neurotypical and then had an accident. Mm -hmm. Um, and after a traumatic brain injury, he needs supportive housing. Um, and in his conversation with me, he shared that he never expected to have to, you know, pursue this kind of, of housing and support. And it really struck a chord that, you know, a lot of us spend much of our time focusing on, you know, what is mine? How can I improve, you know, my lot? Mm -hmm. And in a way, we're not know uh, just from a selfish perspective we're not hedging our bets because you know it can impact any of us anyone can have a brother anyone can have a, um, a, a kid anyone can have an accident anyone can slip and fall mm -hmm. um, and even beyond that in a spirit of generosity you know we do ha absolutely you know to um, go off of what you said we, we do tend to have this market disparity between spaces that are intended for folks who experience disability and places that are intended for folks w who don't experience disability. And a great example of that is, you know, the day program mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the adult daycare. Adult daycare and even kid daycare look very different. Mm -hmm. Even if they're in the same area, the kid daycare may be marketed to more affluent families um, and so the amenities are nicer. The adult daycare, the folks who go there um, may not be what we could call discriminating consumers 
who would be able to self-advocate and leave to a place that offers nicer amenities. And a way that I understand this is thinking about you know, a yoga studio in a town. Um, if I have a bad experience at one yoga studio, I might go to another. Mm -hmm. Same with a coffee shop or something else. A lot of folks who experience disability don't have that privilege yeah. to be able to say, you know what, this place doesn't meet my needs and, or this space isn't as nice as I'd like it to be. Um, this space is in the basement of uh, an industrial park. This mm -hmm. space is in, you know, that's a very common thing we see for day programs because the cost per square foot is very low. Yeah. So tell us about what Co-Home has become. You you came up with this idea, you got this house, um, you quit your job and started pursuing <laughs> this. So tell us what it looks like right now. Um, how, how many co-homes are there? Um, how is it set up? What does it look like for people experiencing disability to live with people who don't have disabilities? So right now we have three properties in Morristown. One is under development, and that's really exciting. I can tell you about that in a little bit. But we have two homes. Both are Victorians. We can't seem to get out of the 1800s yet. <laughs> um, and so one of the homes is about a 6,200 square foot uh, home. Uh, we have uh, five individuals who experience disability living there. And we have a few individuals who don't experience disabilities within there as well. Um, and then in the other home, uh, just a few blocks away, we have uh, four individuals who experience disability living there and two individuals who don't experience disabilities living there. Um, so for uh, our residents who do experience disabilities, um, it's like you know any I mean, really, for all of our residents, you know, their housemates, peers, friends, um, everyone takes on something of an advisory role with responsibilities. We have, you know, intentions to, um, you know, maybe we could call it like intentional living. So it's really very similar to any shared housing with maybe a few more intentions behind it mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit more mission. But those folks who are neurotypical um, who live with, you know, their, their housemates with disabilities, they're not staff. They don't help their peers with things like tasks of daily living. Um, every resident gets to be the champion of his or her own supports and so has a circle of supports tailored just for them. So individualized supports was really important to us because in that same way of imagining that, oh, this cohort of folks who experience disabilities should live together. We also don't think w it's appropriate to schedule everyone together, that they all want to do the same things, you know, in a day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and you can see that Jeremy, who's my brother, uh, you know, might want to, you know, get a coffee in the morning when one of the other residents wants to sleep in, and then he's going to go to work, and then when he comes back, he wants to do something else. and. Um, maybe he doesn't want to eat pizza, or maybe he doesn't want to go to Walmart, maybe he wants to walk to a little bodega, or he wants to. So kind of accommodating self-advocacy and independence and um, individuality is something that 
is somewhat anathema to the group home imposed supports model. And so when we were thinking of, you know, who's going to live here, who's going to make this inclusive, it's, well, it's about making a space where folks can be together in an elective way and to preserve everyone's right to choose. So in terms of the day-to-day -day activities that co-home facilitates, and, you know, COVID has threw things through a loop, but um, in some ways we've actually done more, although each home became something of a, a bubble during COVID. Um, our social programs that we run are a floor, not a ceiling, and they're all elective. So no one's required to go. They're all safe spaces where if someone wants to join, um, we have a social club that we started uh, just over a month ago um, where uh, residents come together to, when, when I say residents, that's, that's everyone, um, come together to just hang out. Um, it's something like breakfast club, but not uh, detention yeah. is the way <laughs> I think of it. Um, and so they just hang out and do games, go for walks, visit. We have shared meals, we do in-home activities, we do community-based outings. And all of these are opportunities for folks to just do regular, normal things. So I, it sounds like kind of where it, it could get tricky is making sure that everyone has the supports they need without it being imposed from the top down. And so the way I'm understanding it is that like as individuals come in, they come in with clarity about what they what their supports are going to need to be. And you help them find those supports, but it's not coming through the other residents in the house with them. It's if they need a, a nursing care, if they need help showering or if they need help getting places that is coming through a different source. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So actually, we allow it to come through many different sources. Um, so one thing that's distinct about our model is that we don't provide those supports ourselves. Co-home does not provide direct supports to the residents who live with us. Um, residents can bring in supports, either self-directed. In New Jersey, there are uh, two different ways to um, bring in supports. You can either have self-directed supports or agency-based supports. And so we allow folks to, you know, make that decision as to what fits their need best. Um, so it is, it, it is tricky. There's, you know, a, a lot of folks come to us possibly when it's, uh, when it's a little later than we all would have liked um, because these conversations are not happening from an early age and even just you know from my own family we never had these conversations growing up mm. there was maybe a sense of denial or just i don't i actually don't know what happened um mm. somehow we we dropped the ball we had many conversations about my older brother and i you know going to college or um whether or not i was going to have to go to boot camp um you know out of high school or something <laughs> right but you know what was next for uh my brother and i was a regular conversation, you know, grad school, what's after grad school, mm -hmm. employment. Yeah. Um, and somehow I feel we neglected those conversations around Jeremy until he aged out of his district-based supports 
And we said, wait a second, now what? And so a lot of folks come to us in that timing mm -hmm. when you know they've aged out of those supports and now kind of there's a bit of a panic. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Um, we've built up a lot of really great momentum and skills in you know the, their mainstream schooling and we want them to preserve that and lead a life of dignity and not just you know kind of wallow at home. Um, so usually when folks come to us we, we you know we have these these meetings and we start this process of now trying to figure out what supports does someone need in an independent living setting and it's different for everyone so it's i mean it's a lot to unpack it seems like there's a few different options for living at cohome um, can you tell us a little bit more about what the different options are and how they foster the most independence possible yeah that's a great question so there are three ways folks can live with us um i guess the first and most obvious one are you know the opportunity for folks who experience disability to come live with us um, and become a resident and you know through that program through that channel we work to you know with the family to make sure the person is supported in the way that you know makes them safe and happy and uh the the next option uh is for folks who are uh, neurotypical right that's the inclusive aspect um in bringing everyone together and so we have what we call the residential advisor role and these are folks who become housemates peers i guess very similar to ras in college and they come to us from a variety of backgrounds. We've had people who are physical therapists to uh, special educators to uh, folks from a theology background and kind of everything else. And they're looking to have their housing have a bit of a mission focus to it. Um, and they want to be part of a community. Um, so that's the RA program. And we, you know, we focus on folks there who can be with us for, you know, at least two years because that's really important for us to, uh, you know, develop continuity with our residents. So, you know, many of our residents expect to be there for, you know, with us for a long time. And we want, you know, there to be a feeling of stability in the homes. So then we also have what we call our immersion program which is actually a requirement for uh, folks becoming a resident. It's how we figure out what someone's support needs might look like in an independent living setting. And the immersion program is an opportunity for folks who maybe have not experienced independent living before to get a first experience in a safe way. And so over about three months, an individual gets to come to co-home, join social activities, uh, go through a few experiential assessments uh, where we, for example, cook together, um, do different tasks of daily living, go out into the community, and we learn about their support needs. Uh, and then they, they stay overnight, and it's part of a gradual transition for an individual into co-home so that it's not just a, you know, a hard start, uh, which can be uncomfortable for some folks. So. The three programs that we have are the residential program for folks who experience disabilities, 
the RA program for folks who don't experience uh, disabilities and the immersion program uh, also for folks who uh, experience disabilities. Okay, Nate, so tell me about your experience with parents of the residents. Um, how do they, how does that transition as their son or daughter moves into this more independent lifestyle? What does that kind of look like with parents and how, and your relationship with the parents as the families are going through this transition? Well, parents are definitely part, you know, a big part of the process, and we view them as an intimate part of the community. So we love them to be, you know, as active as they they can be. Um, each month, we actually have a a meeting uh, with all of our parents and guardians, and we try to get together as a community, including all of our our housemates and and their you know parents, guardians, friends, um, uh, at least once a season. Uh, so the next one coming up, I think, is a, a July pool party barbecue that we're doing. Yeah. So the the transition for a lot of the parents is difficult. Um, like I mentioned previously, you know, th- a lot of these conversations ha- weren't maybe long standing in the families uh, before folks came to us. So um, th- there's a good deal of handholding, to be honest, um, and sometimes the resident can become a lot more comfortable a lot quicker than the parents do. So a great example of that is a a resident transitioned uh, into the home. Uh, He started right before, well, he got accepted right, I think it was just a couple of days before COVID. Um, And so uh, when he was supposed to start moving his stuff in and this gradual transition, we had to kind of shut down the homes and say, okay, we're all going to stay safe. We're going to kind of, you know, lock up and we can still go in the community. But we have to wear a mask. And we can't have, we can have only, you know, so many guests. And um, so his transition got delayed and slowed down, but he kept coming over and, you know, wearing a mask, coming to shared meals, um, coming to some of our in-home activities. Uh, and I guess, let's see, he moved in sometime during the middle of of covid uh, he had his first overnight and i'd say it was maybe a month after that i get a call from his mom saying so um you know i'll I'll call this guy mike um it's not his real name but uh so so you know mike uh, called me this morning and he said mom I don't want to go to your house this weekend. I want to stay home. And he was referring to co-home mm. as his home. And that wasn't something she was ready for just yet. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like as you have worked with these different families and thought about your own experience with Jeremy, um, do you have wisdom or advice for our parents like me who, you know, we have little kids still and we know that this day of independence is coming probably sooner than we're ready for. Um, what are the things we should be thinking about and planning for right now as we look ahead 10, 15 years down the road? I think that 
one of the important things to consider is, you know, some of the, the better housing options for folks who experience disability are set up by siblings, from parents, parent groups, folks who are intimately connected uh, and care for, you know, have, we could say, skin in the game. And I think thinking that someone else will do it, um, and, you know, maybe, you know, God willing, in 20 years, that is the case, that, you know, the rest of society has kind of picked up um, the slack, per se, and, you know, all housing is inclusive, right? That's the goal, that we don't have to be um, be doing this, or at least not doing it alone. But I would definitely encourage everyone to, you know, take a weekend and go visit a local group home, go visit a local campus, go visit, um, you know, maybe a an unlicensed setting that's nearby, um, just to see what the options are, because what you see is not necessarily what it has to become um, for your person. Um, so, you know. A lot of folks come to us and, you know, maybe they were, you know, the, the parents were a power couple or something like that, right? And um, maybe the mom did this amazing, you know, thing in her career and the dad does this amazing thing in his career. But when it comes to having a conversation about housing, oftentimes we're looking for others. And I mean, to be totally honest, that's what my family did. That's what I did. I My first conversation with that nonprofit was you know, I'm not going to do this, you know, but let me maybe help you guys get started. Yeah. And with the expert, with not with the expectation that this is where I was going to be some years later. Um, and I'm very happy to be here, but it was definitely not what I was expecting. Um, I definitely w- wouldn't have studied bio and engineering. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> would have been a different choice. But, you know, what can we do? I, I guess, you know, so... A lot of folks go out and they, they purchase a house as a family, right? That's like the American dream. And that same energy that we bring into creating and setting up our lives for our family is the same energy and creativity we can bring to creating housing opportunities that are inclusive for people who experience disabilities. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm encouraging folks to see what's out there, but not to view that as some rigid status quo that can't be changed because every day folks are buying houses and every day folks are making really amazing decisions of you know how they want to be with their family and be with their neighbors and we can do this particularly as you know with the energy of a sibling and as parents we know we're not going away we know we're supporting you know these you know our our folks right Um, and I mean one day we are going away so setting up in a way that's robust enough to also outlive us. Yeah. I would love for you to share um, just any uh, any particular stories of increased independence, stories of residents who you've seen grow and um, maybe even transform by being in a co-home. There are a lot of stories that we joke are, you know, like co-home moments. Um, <laughs> and so we have one resident who has been with us for about two years. And about three weeks ago, 
Um, this gentleman likes to spend a good amount of time on his, uh, his iPad, uh, and he prefers privacy. And about three weeks ago, we found him all set up in the living room in one of the houses um, with his little station um, all kind of plugged in. And that just like blew us away. It was like, mm -hmm. wow, uh, welcome. Um, <laughs> hello. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, this isn't your spot. And him feeling comfortable to be passively involved in the social happenings in the home is such a victory that maybe for a, a lot of folks doesn't look like you know such a big step but it's awesome so um yeah that's one win from you know really recent uh, another thing would be um we have we, we invite guests over to uh you know to our homes uh you know folks who experience disabilities and folks who don't and uh when one of the guests came to one of the recent um you know family style meals one of the residents was was kind of uncomfortable, um, you know, with more voices, more mm -hmm. people, um, you know, retreated a little bit. And by the end of the meal, with some facilitation by the the RAs, uh, was able to feel totally comfortable sitting there having conversations. Realized that they had gone to the same school for a while, that they had you know a lot in common, and um, you know, just having like a very normal evening. So. Yeah. There aren't, like, we don't have a ton of stories of, because also, you know, we're, we're not a school, we're not, we don't do athletic competitions, we don't do, you know, we don't, um, we could say, like, measure sure. our folks. So, um, in many ways, folks develop very quickly, it seems, more independent living skills than it was expected that they might have or might have in that time frame. And a big reason for that is folks are typically leaving their childhood home where, uh, you know, Big Mama did, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things for them, um, maybe Big Daddy in, in some situations. So um, when they come to the, the homes, it's really amazing to see, you know, what they're actually capable of. But this, the success stories are maybe a little bit more nuanced and no, normal. Yeah. It's like, you know, everyday life is happening and that's just what's supposed to happen. Yeah. I think our listeners get that in a way that a lot of people wouldn't just because we understand the nuance of um, when the victories that we're celebrating maybe wouldn't have even been noticed by our peers who are raising neurotypical kids. Um, and that those are the moments that I think are um, are so hard-earned and so beautiful to witness. The, the guy showing up with his iPad in the living room and wanting to be around people in the house or um, the person at dinner who's willing to try to engage with somebody new. Um, yeah. We, uh, some friends and I share a text thread where um, when we're walking around town, if we see you know, a cohort of folks from Co-Home um, you know, going to get coffee or if we see... Um, you know, two guys going into the movies, or we see, you know, one guy doing his grocery shopping. From a distance, we'll, you know, we'll just snap a picture and, mm -hmm. and send it to each other and, you know, just say, you know, co-home moment. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it, it's everything that we all do. Mm -hmm. 
and making that possible for everyone else. Mm, I love that. Um, well, we would love to know the what the future is for Cohome. You mentioned a third um, property that Cohome has purchased. Um, what are your plans for the future? What do you see Cohome becoming? It's a big question for someone who didn't expect to even be in this space, um, you know, five, six years, I guess, six years ago now. Um, it's really interesting to think of the future. So yeah, it's very exciting. We are going to be building our first new construction homes. Not only we're we getting out of the 1800s, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're going brand new. Um, and this building is going to have um, a couple apartments in it. Uh, one that's going to be um, fully inclusive, co-home style, um, and a couple market rate units and a couple affordable units, so a very you know, inclusive building. And then the, uh, the first floor is going to be a retail space where our residents will hopefully be able to work, um, you know, some kind of supported employment that's inclusive and totally engaged in the downtown you know, community here in Morristown. Beyond that building, um, you know, I think our capacity in Morristown is probably a, a few more homes. But separate, we know, you know, we get emails from folks across the country um, about how can you help us do this here, or you know, what can you give to us to let us do this on our own, or are you planning on opening one here? So I think those are the conversations we want to have you know, soon is, you know, how can we export this model? Mm -hmm. How can we give folks this toolkit so that they can do this where they are? Um, every state is different. All the regulations are different. I've been learning a lot about, you know, how different states work with it. Thankfully, there are a lot of similarities. Um, but, you know, I think one of the conversations that we have as a board pretty frequently are, we don't want to become a, a franchise kind of operation where mm -hmm. we go in somewhere and we open a co-home and we say what a co-home is. Yes. Something we ask our residents to do uh, at our monthly ho house meetings is we ask them to share their spark. Um, and in a similar way, I think for someone to open a co-home or someone to want a co-home near them, we want those people to share their spark and to make it their own um, and parent-driven housing, sibling-driven housing, advocate-driven housing is really the future. So um, the conversations we're having now are around how could we consult with, how could we equip, how could we help folks do inclusive housing? I think there's probably a lot of people out there listening who are interested in having that conversation with you. Um, if people are interested in learning more about Co-Home, what's a way that they can reach you? Um, how can they find information online about Co-Home? Well, online we have uh, our website, which is cohome.org, C-O-H-O-M-E.org. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, that's, uh, let's see, at Co-Home underscore Marstown. Uh -huh. um, you can also reach out to us by email. Um, the best way to do that would be uh, we have a, a help desk. So help desk, H-E-L-P-D-E-S-K, at cohome.org. 
And if you have a question for me personally, you're welcome to email me directly. And my email is nathaniel at cohome.org, N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L at cohome.org. Awesome. And we'll have links to all of those things in our show notes. Um, one more thing, Nathaniel, before we go. Uh, we have a segment every week called Good News where we celebrate um, the good things happening in the lives of people we love with Down syndrome or the self-advocates who are on our show. Um, is there anything that you're celebrating in Jeremy's life? Yeah, so Jeremy uh, just brought on a new support person um, who's helping him with uh, understanding some uh, things like, like sexual boundaries and um, you know, appropriate behaviors and social interactions. And so far, he's really taken to it very well, and he feels a sense of ownership because, you know, again, he's you know he's in charge of his supports. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, he's brought this person on, and he understands um, you know the benefit for himself, and so he's supporting himself by asking for for help like that, um, and bringing folks in to support him in ways that he wants to grow. So. That's super cool and so good to to just hear, I think for all of us in the younger years, to hear the kinds of things that you're thinking about and how Jeremy is still growing and learning. Um, it's really amazing. So Nathaniel, thanks for being here. Thanks for sitting in my tiny office with me. And thanks for being my neighbor and doing something um, so inspiring in our community and something that I can see um, being a place where I would love for Ace to be someday. Thanks, Micah. We can't wait for Ace to turn 16 and come for the immersion <laughs> program. Perfect. Until then, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Ladies. So good. What did you think? It's good. It's great. It. A lot of information yeah. and yeah. I want I want to have co-homes all over my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love yeah. um since yeah, he's got um a direct correlation and you could tell like I loved that he talked about how when they were looking for a home that there were spots that, you know, they were trying, that they were trying and, um, but it's ultimately not, was not the right fit for what their family wanted, mm -hmm. you know, and how there's still so much room in that and like how then they had to start something and how like, yeah, for people with disabilities, they don't have many choices. Right. You know, like if something's not working out here, it's not like there's another spot to try out more, or maybe they generally love a certain area. Well, maybe there's no home there. I had never thought about it in that sense that if one place doesn't work or even this fact to choose to even before mm -hmm. they place themselves right. somewhere to even choose, they don't have a variety, you know, right. and, right. um, there's just still so much work to be done and mm -hmm. so much still of a need and 
um, I think co-home is a beautiful place and model to glean from for sure. Well, at least it sounds like it, but you've been able to go a ton, Micah. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm just, I'm so blessed. I feel like this is, it was a total accident and Ace and I walk by the co-home house every day. Sometimes we see residents outside. Sometimes we run into Nathaniel's brother, Jeremy, who, um, you know, when Jeremy's leaving to go to his ballroom dancing, he's really into ballroom dancing. Oh, get out. And no, he's, and I just, I can't, I feel so grateful that this is like a normal part of Ace's life, that there are these amazing adults with disabilities living nearby. And I mean, there's so much about the way that Nathaniel talks about his vision that, um, speaks to me but one of the things I think is so special about it is like this not just the variety which I think is really important what Mercedes said about that that people deserve choice yeah and and but also like most of these you know um group these these group homes are Mm -hmm. on the outskirts of town yeah you gotta like you can't walk anywhere you're reliant on whoever's going to drive you around and, and just to be in this beautiful house and be walking distance from the grocery store and the frozen yogurt place. And to have that kind of life, it's, it's such a gift. And I would feel so thrilled for Ace to get to live in a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I quoted what he said. He said, there are marked disparity around places that are intended for people with disability. Mm. And I think that everybody knows that. I don't know that, I don't know that that is a shock to anybody, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you hear it, when you really start to think about it, but then like to look deeper into it and what you were talking about earlier with what you were saying, Mercedes, like that there's people don't have choices, right? Like they don't Mm -hmm. get to be a discriminating consumer. He said Mm -hmm. people with disabilities and just what a shame, like that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just not okay. Um, You shouldn't get to have more choices in a better life if you don't have a disability. Right. It's. I think they call that ableism. Well, yeah, I think that's the, the word. Even in our area and here in SoCal, there's a really beautiful one that I love that's in Laguna Beach, but it's astronomical, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so like he even was talking about that, like either you could afford a really, really nice one, you know, like nice location, but it's super duper expensive, you know, like and they even like, I love that he chose Victorian home. Like he chose a hip artsy aspect that even people without a disability would want to come and be a part of, you know, it's not like when you were talking about that, Heather marked with disparity, quoting him, even the, the term group home, you know, comes mm-hmm. with so much baggage and you can already see what it's about, right? You just yeah. picture what it's about. And um, I love his action steps to making it an inclusive setting within the home and having like, almost like, like a college mentality of like, what was it like a advisor? Uh, yeah, like yeah they're called advisor. RA or something. <laughs> RA. Yeah. They yeah. call them RA. It's and so yeah, respectable, they- you know, yeah. to the residents and to everybody, it makes it um, labels and all that, even though we want to be above labels, but how the language is set really does set a tone. And that's what I gathered was important to him for his brother, Jeremy in the environment they were creating. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think like that has, that has played out in our neighborhood too, mm-hmm. because when Nathaniel first bought the house and started working on making this happen, it's like, there's, there's some other historic homes and, you know, some grumpy people who are like, oh, there's going to be a group home <laughs> in our neighborhood. And, um, and I think that his way of coming at it, I, I think he won the hearts of neighbors because first of all, he, mm. he, he made the house more beautiful. Like mm. yeah. he, he's like, we're not coming in here to like, yeah, turn this into a cement, cement building with, you know, uh, yeah. and and that that they've seen the respect and the like what happens with inclusion right is that right. everybody mm-hmm. gets welcomed in and the yep. neighbors get welcomed in and it becomes a warm nurturing space and so okay. the people who were like oh a group home in the neighborhood are have really done a 180 and oh, been blown away by what they've seen yeah it makes sense that makes so much sense and And it is, I think for me listening, it's like, it's very inspiring. And then it's like, well, what do I do Mm -hmm. now where I am? You know, and even that, I I think he said, like, the point of co-home is not to franchise it, right? It's like, it's not like co-homes coming to California, right? but it's more like a model. A model. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, it, it does feel overwhelming. And he did say, like, start looking now, you know, like start looking at what options are available. Um, and so I hope someone listening that lives in Redlands, which is where we live, is like, Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I hope. <laughs> um, well, you guys, it's been such a good conversation. Thanks to Nathaniel for being with us today. Um, and to all of our listeners out there, we are just grateful for you joining us. And we love getting to share these stories with you and um, love that there's just so much goodness happening in our community that we get to keep celebrating and learning about. Uh, So as always, as a reminder, we want to hear from you out there, listeners, leave us a voicemail or a DM on Instagram and share about your family or your good news about your loved one with Down syndrome. And if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shop the worth of people with Down syndrome, we'd love to partner with you. So email hello at the lucky few podcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. A huge thank you to our editor, Josh Avis, to our producer, Val Schleter, to our sponsor, to all of you out there who've shared the lucky few podcast with friends and who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that you, dear listener, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shout of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. See you next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.